Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Virginia head coach Tony Bennett, the reigning national champ. I think he's the ACC coach of the year after what he's done with the Cavaliers here in season. They're within striking distance of winning the ACC again. Also, UCLA head coach Mick Cronin. The Bruins were nowhere near an NCAA tournament team earlier this season. Now Mick Cronin has the Bruins in position to potentially win the Pac-12. He will join me on this podcast as well. Kofi Coburn from Illinois, the freshman who has been a just absolute force inside for the Illini. I think you're going to get used to seeing him in the NCAA tournament. He'll be joining me as well. We've got our Cats ranks, the top 10 coaches for this NCAA tournament, who I think you could say you could rank them in terms of NCAA tournament coaches, of active coaches who will be in this tournament. And then, of course, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. We do predictions, how I did last week and how I'm going to do this week. All right, it's time for headlines here in college basketball. At number five. The 12-point lead for the Spartans, who will get the revenge they were seeking for that loss to Maryland in East Lansing two weeks ago. Maryland missed out on an opportunity to clinch at least a share of the Big Ten title by losing at home to Michigan State Saturday. Terrapins still own a two-game lead in the loss column and have two chances this week at Rutgers and at home against Michigan to win their first Big Ten title since leaving the ACC. Headline number four. As the Red Storm shoot 55% for the game, 14 of 22 from three, and they knock off a top 10 opponent here at Karnaseka for the first time since December of 1975. Creighton's loss Sunday at St. John's has opened the door for Seton Hall to win the Big East title outright with a home win over Villanova Wednesday. The Pirates were predicted to win the league in the preseason. Headline number three. The UCLA Bruins, one of the hottest teams in the country. They've won seven in a row, and for now, they are all alone in first place. UCLA has won seven in a row and is now alone in first place in the Pac-12 and likely heading to the NCAA tournament. And Mick Cronin, who you'll hear from momentarily, should be the Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Number two. And Virginia survives! They survived six in a row now. All six, they have won life right down the wire. Incredible. The reigning national champ, Virginia, has won six in a row, is a game out of first in the ACC, and has a chance to still win the league in the final week of the season that comes after beating Duke at home. Coach Tony Bennett, who you will hear on the podcast, may have done his best coaching job and should be the ACC Coach of the Year. And headline number one. It is back-to-back Saturday losses for the Baylor Bears. TCU upsets the number two ranked team in the nation. Kansas now has a one-game lead on Baylor in the Big 12 after the Bears lost at TCU. The Jayhawks are in the pole position to be the number one overall seed for the NCAA tournament, which shockingly, if you can believe it or not, actually begins after next week. And those are your top five headlines in college basketball for the week. Let's get to our interviews. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Tony Bennett, the head coach of the Virginia Cavaliers, the reigning National champs. We don't say defending anymore because it's a new team. So we can say reigning. Uh, Virginia has won six in a row. I would say now comfortably in. Uh, Tony, I'm not just saying this because you're a good friend and I've known you forever, uh, but I would argue this may be your best coaching job and you actually won the national championship last year uh, because you've turned this team around and and I think you should be the ACC coach of the year. So I'm just going to get that out there. So um, how'd you do it? How did you turn this team within this season around to where you're now just a game out of first place with a couple to go? 
Well, you say that because uh, I split my um, my bonus if I get the ACC Coach of the Year. So we got that deal, right? Andy? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, I'll take it. No, I, you know that it, it's there's so many great coaches in our league, and it's just it, you know the guys have uh, come together. We were we're really on a fine line, always having. I think college basketball is that way this year more than most years. Uh, we talk about the parity and. Even the games we've lost, we've been in, with the exception of at Purdue, we've been in really under four minutes, either with the lead or tied. So we've been in so many close games, we've just been coming out on the other side of them. And I think, you know, in our last number of games, where we've improved is guys are getting used to a little bit, you know, our system more. But um, some guys are playing well. You know, Thomas Wolden-Tenzai has been shooting the ball well. The last couple of games he hasn't, but that's opened up the floor for Kihei. And we're getting, you know, Mamadi, Diakite, Jay, different guys are making plays. So there's a little more room on the floor. And Kihei's been having to do a lot all year. So I just think the balance of that and then, you know, our guys understanding our one constant has to be continuing to tighten up our defense when we're right. That at least gives us a chance. And I think we can play with anybody, and I believe anybody can play with us. That's just the reality of it. Well, the other thing that clearly has changed um, – because this was, you know, when I saw you guys way early in the season, scoring was an issue. And it seems like in the last six weeks, that has, you know, even in your loss to Louisville, you scored 73. So, I mean, uh, how has that changed to where it's not as much of a struggle offensively? Well, we 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 scored 52 to beat Duke, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a fine line. But I do think because at times in these games, we've shot the ball a little better from the perimeter. That's really helped, gotten to the line. Um, and again, more guys, more balance in the scoring. So that's helped when the offense has gone well, but there have been some times where we've had to just flat out win it with our defense. And, um, you know, last year's team, we, we could win with our offense and our defense had to just be sound this year. A lot of the times our defense, we have to try to win with our defense and, you know, the offense has to be sound. It's a little different, but in those games where it's been a little better, I think it's just some inside outside scoring, shooting the ball a little better in some of those games. But again, Duke, they guarded us so hard and that was a grinder. And, um, you know, we just had to find ways at the end. Same with Virginia tech. Well, yeah, no, Duke's actually, I think, defensively, it's been one of their better teams. Um, so Jay Hoff had a phenomenal game in that Duke game. Uh, certainly was right there with Vernon Carey um, and you know was blocking shots, uh, ended up blocking Vernon Carey's shot when it looked like Vernon was right there yes. uh, to lay it in. And he comes from the help side and gets that block. Tremendous. W- what about Jay's development complimenting uh, Diakite that, you know, in what way has that really changed this team as well? Yeah. For sure. Actually, on that last play, you mentioned what I thought was impressive. Jay was out on a ball screen. Mamadi came flying in, and Mamadi could have fouled, but he put the brakes on and had showed great discipline, and then he got in the play. Jay got back, and yeah, the length um, got a block shot, but I'm, I'm real happy for Jay. Jay is from Durham, and you know, he's just, he, we redshirted him his first year. He's just gotten better and better, and um, he was significant. I, I told him after the game, I didn't realize he had 10 blocks. And so we all kind of told, said that in the locker room. Everybody went wild. And I said, that's the good news. I said, the bad news is, is Ralph Sampson had 12. So you're, you're still too short of the school record. Uh, but Jay, you know, his length um, obviously bothers people. He's a skilled seven-foot player that can shoot the three, put it on the floor. And he's just... I really hope he's continuing to come into his own because he's he's shown flashes through the years and he's been more consistent this year. And, of course, he's getting more playing time, so that always helps. 
but uh, he was significant in that game and couldn't, couldn't have been more happy for a young man that, you know, grew up and he, he thinks the world of obviously Duke, Coach K in that program and, um, you know, to come here and have that kind of game in that setting, which we needed, um, was really good. So I hope it's just catapults him to, to continue forward. All right. So I need some truth serum here. Uh, you guys, you, know, you won your first two games early in the ACC and then you went on that skid uh, where you lost three of four. Uh, including losing at BC, uh, you lose the return game to Syracuse at Florida State. Uh, you beat George Tech, and then you lose to NC State. And and so I'm wondering, before you went to Wake Forest, as you're in the midst of a bit of that skid, how concerned were you whether or not this team could flip the switch? Yeah, I mean, we won at Wake Forest um, in overtime, right? That right. was uh, we followed a three point shooter, so. You know, I, I didn't know, Andy. You, I don't know if you ever know. I just knew in all those games we lost, I mean, they were down to the wire. And even in these ones that we've won, they've been down to the wire, all but maybe one of them. And so I knew that you're never, it's like that thing. You, you try to keep hope because you're never that far away from getting over the edge and, and you're never maybe quite, you know, as arrived as you as you think. But I knew we were going to have to start playing well and each game was significant if you wanted to, you know, get yourself to where you would have a chance to be considered for playing in March or playing in the NCAA tournament. So it really was when you have a team that maybe isn't as experienced as we've been in the past, you just say, all right, what, what's the reality of this? How do we have to play? Um, and you go to work, you, you talk about, we did say, all right, what's our goal? We know we want to make the tournament. What are some of the things we have to do? And let's, let's put some action to that. So it was just, you know, kind of clinical the way we did it, but true serum, I wasn't sure. I knew that it was, it certainly could have been a case where we could just be close and not quite get over the hump. Or if we, you know, some guys, if we stepped it up a little bit, we could be on the other side of it. And that's what's happened. So one last thing, Tony, you know, you've handled pressure in different ways. So incredibly well. Um, You've got great balance in your life and everything else, but I'm just curious, this kind of pressure, the pressure of you win the national championship, even though I know it's a different team, the pressure of getting back, you know, it's like one thing, okay, you lose to the 16 first time ever, and then you win the national championship. So there's pressure to get back and then you win the national championship. Now it's like, oh, you don't want to be the team that wins the title, but doesn't even get back to the tournament. And I know we're not there yet, but things are looking great. Um, What's that pressure like of, you know, knowing that there's that outside force of, oh, geez, you know, they want it, but are they even going to get back the next year? I mean, that's, that's reality. I mean, I, I don't know if that's, I don't even know if that's happened before or not, but when your team turns over the way ours has, you know, we built our program with experienced guys that get into their upperclassmen years. And, you know, because we had such an amazing year last year, it afforded the opportunity for DeAndre and for Ty and Kyle to go. We lose Jack Salt, a couple guys transfers. So we, we lost pretty much all of our experience with the exception of Mamadi and Braxton and then Kihei as a sophomore, that guys that had played. So I I knew it was going to be challenging. So as far as the pressure standpoint, you always want to do well and you want the team to reach its fullest. And this team, you know, I I admire what they've done because that's a lot for these guys. You know, the standard's been so high here the last seven years and they don't want to let people down. They don't want to let the former players. But at some point you say, screw that. And you just say, this is about us. This is our year. Let's just do what we can do. And, and you have to, in a way, abandon the outcome and get as good as you can. So 
I think you just lock into that. And sure, you, you always hope that, oh, I hope we get a chance to play in the tournament and, and all that. But it's, um, it's been a challenge, but I think it's uh, hardened or toughened our guys up and made them realize, you know, once you look at it and say, this isn't going to just happen naturally because you won it last year or you had success. You got to go and get it every time out. And that's college basketball this year. It's just who's ever ready and playing well is, has got the best chance to be successful more than other years, I think. Appreciate it, Tony. The Cavaliers end at Miami, home Louisville, and looking very good going into the tournament this year again. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Andy. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, UCLA head coach Mick Cronin. And my pick, I don't even think it's close right now, uh, for coach of the year uh, in the Pac-12 with just a couple games left to go. Uh, I would go Mick Cronin one, Bobby Hurley two, Uh, And I would say two months ago, neither guy would probably be considered at the top. So a lot has changed. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, Mick, how did you turn this team around and be in position in the final week of the season? And you guys only have one game left, USC, uh, to be alone uh, at least in the win column, half game ahead of Oregon in first place in the Pac-12. Well, I wish I had that answer for you. <laughs> you know what? All you can do is keep coaching, uh, keep motivating, keep trying to bring your team together, teach them how to become the players that they want to be. And uh, it's not mutually exclusive. You know, t- today's player sometimes gets mixed messages from the outside. You can do what your coaches are telling you to do. It's good for you and it's good for the team. Uh, and I think we've just figured things out over time, Andy. As you know, we got a we, we rely on a lot of young players. And really, you know, Chris Smith's really the junior that we we rely on. But he, you know, the guy averaged three points a game last year. You know, he's a young player. He just turned twenty years old. So, young team growing up, growing up together, we become a team over time. And look, hey, we won some tough games. You got to try to win some close ones. And in Power Five basketball, the margin of victory uh, is, is slim. So you got to try to win some close ones, which we were able to do against uh, Arizona and Arizona State. How much of a learning curve was it for you uh, coaching in the Pac-12? I think more so coaching my players uh, because you're always coaching and scouting and and dealing with your opponents, whatever conference you're in. For me, the adjustment was um, getting comfortable becoming a UCLA coach and getting comfortable coaching the guys on this roster you know, you got to go through some things together with your coaching, your coaching staff and your teammates but before you can really develop any kind of bond. Uh, so I think that, that that has been the adjustment for me is just really knowing that, uh, oh, you realize you're not talking to guys that have been on your team for three years at Cincinnati. You're talking to guys that back in December maybe played seven or eight games for you. And you, there's just no way you can have the bond and the trust level that you would have with guys that you recruited and you coached over a period of years. So I think that's been the biggest key for me. But uh, I will say, you know, I've been extremely impressed with our conference. I think people, some people have seven teams in the, out of our 12 on the board now for the tournament. And uh, we got some really good coaches in our league. Uh, and you didn't mention Mark Fox, I think. He's done an unbelievable job. He took over a program at Cal that they, they didn't have a win last year in the, in the conference. And look where he's at now. Yep, 7-9 uh, heading into the last couple of games of the season. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about that Arizona road trip. I mean, you just completed the sweep of them at home. 
And uh, the game got away from you guys in Tempe. You lose 84-66. What happened in that in-between, that practice, that team meeting? Like, what what went on from Tempe to Tucson? Because it was a completely different script at Arizona, 13-point win uh, just a couple of days later. Well, we had, a, I mean, obviously we did, we watched film and we talked in our day off uh, about, about uh, how to win. And we, like you said, we let the game get away from us. Now, Arizona State made their first eight threes. And when you have to spread out against a team that's as good off the dribble with three guards as Arizona State is, you're, you're really in deep trouble when they're bigger guys and their fourth and fifth man are hitting threes. They're almost impossible to defend. So, but that being said, you know, we, we talked about what we, what we have to do to win at Arizona. And it's real simple. You've got to give yourself a chance. The only way you give yourself a chance is to execute some things on offense and rebound the ball so you can set your defense. That's how you went on the road. I mean, you're not going to go on the road and outrun teams. Now, you might say, well, hey, you can do it. Well, you better have three lottery picks, maybe maybe it, well, the first or second pick. It's hard to do on the road. You know, on the road, you got to be able to play some defense, and, and you can't give points away. So we had a little heart-to-heart, to be honest with you. you know, but, and so it was the first time that the guys said, to, you know, they said to me, hey, you know, Coach, how, how did you do it at Cincinnati? You know, Tiger actually, you know, we were talking in the meeting. Coach Savino did the scouting stuff. And, you know, I was talking to the guys and it was a back and forth. I wanted to ask some questions. You know, Tiger Campbell said, well, Coach, you know, how did you do it? Because, you know, I had told him about one time in Cincinnati, we won eight games in a row on the road in the Big East. Probably the thing I'm most proud of in my career, to be honest with you. Uh, back then, it was impossible to do that. And we talked about how we did it. And, uh you know, it showed me, though, hey, look, these guys want to win. When your guys want to win, Andy, coaching becomes, A, fun, and B, a lot easier. <laughs> and that was the beginning of this current seven-game win streak, the win at Arizona. And, you know, I, look, I've covered from afar in person uh, this UCLA program for uh, over two decades. And I will tell you, and just talking to your players, and I've had a, you know opportunity uh, for the Pac-12 talking to Chris Smith and Tiger Campbell and um, – you know, there's been a lot of different coaches that have come through there. And I was really impressed with how all in they are. And obviously, I know winning helps that uh, once you start winning. But when did you notice that these guys were all in, especially defensively, of saying, look, this is how, if we do this, it will translate into W's? Well, I, I will give them the credit, first of all, that we, we have really good guys on our team. We have intelligence on our team. Uh, and they've always wanted to win. They just didn't know how to. And I think once they realized uh, maybe how some other people were telling them to win wasn't going to work, <laughs> uh, that they might need to listen to me on how, and my coaching staff on what we're going to have to do to win. And most kids want somebody to show them the way and force them to do the right things. So for us, you know, that, that made it easier. I mean, you speak to those guys. They've, they've been good guys, and they, they've let me coach them from day one. I think just at game time, 
we still had bad habits. We had to break at game time. We did not play smart, whether it was on the offensive end with the choices we made or on the defensive end with the choices we made. And, and those things, they break your back. And you have to have elite, elite talent to overcome uh, a multitude of mistakes. You know, the rest of us, 99% of the country, and really uh, this year, 100% of the country, because no, nobody in college basketball has crazy talent to where they're going to win, even if they don't play well. Uh, so you have to be able to execute and play smart. And it just took us time to be able to do it. You know, I think it, but the want to from the guys has always been there. We get re- really good guys on this team. Mick, I, I know you believe in yourself. You've got a tremendous track record. I'm just curious because UCLA can be a different deal. And when you guys lost to Fullerton and you'd already lost to Hofstra, which, by the way, we're seeing is obviously, uh, if not the best, one of the best teams in the Colonial. Uh, but the Fullerton loss, it feels like, you know, that had been the bugaboo with previous UCLA staffs. Oh, here we go. They're losing a game they shouldn't at home to a nearby school below their level. Doesn't matter who the coach is. You know, I can already hear the chicken little kind of type of things that must have been said. How did you block that out to say, you know what? I know this is different. I know this has happened here before, but we're going to make sure this is different. How were you able to block out that noise? Never heard it. That makes it a lot easier. I do do a good, yeah, I do, you know, I, I want, for, you know, whether it's good or bad, uh, I just, you know, I'm oblivious to that stuff. Guys I look up to in coaching, I would find it hard to believe that Greg Popovich would pay attention to what people were saying on, uh, about his coaching or his team. Um, and, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that John Wooden would care what people were saying about his team or his program. So, you know, I, I never heard it. Number one, I just focus on what we need to do to improve. I think the other thing is it's unfair to UCLA because of our, you know, Coach Wooden's era and our tradition is that people say it's ridiculous and the expectations are ridiculous and uh, it, 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 all that stuff, Andy. It's, it's like that everywhere nowadays. It really is. I, I think, you know, expectations because of social media uh, at 24-hour news cycles and the way coaches are paid, they, and it's no different than players in, in the pros. Well, if you, if, you make, if you make 15 million a year, you should hit 40 home runs. You know, like it's just like you're going to hit 40 home runs just because they paid you. You know, <laughs> I mean, yes, you're going to be expected to. So I just think the expectation levels are raised everywhere. That's the that's the you have to be able to accept it. You got to know it. Uh, and I, it's not exclusive to UCLA. I, it's far, far from it. I think it's it's absolutely everywhere. Uh, but I block it out. I'm, I'm oblivious to it. And the other thing I would say is, look, if that happened. You, you know, Duke lost to Stephen F. Austin. You know, th- those things happen. Kentucky lost uh, know, to Evansville. Yeah, I mean, I remember Bob Huggins went to Cincinnati at Cincinnati in 92. He went to the Final Four. They lost an exhibition game to Athletes in Action. So I think the one thing that is exclusive to basketball, and basketball, because of perimeter shooting and the three-point shot, those things are going to happen. And that's what makes the NCAA tournament nuts. But Fullerton made every shot. Every shot, they came in shooting 27% from the, and so, you, you know, you got to give Diedrich uh, and his team credit. It's not always we lost. We didn't try. We weren't ready. I, I don't like when coaches do that. What, what about the other team that just played great? How about, you know, how about giving them some credit 
you know, they practice too. And I think 10% of the time uh, you play below who you are. 10% of the time you probably play above who you are. And 80% is, is where everybody kind of is who they are the rest of the year. But that's why they call it March Madness. It's getting ready to start, buddy. Well, UCLA will be certainly one of the teams we're all going to be watching very closely. You've done a phenomenal job. Still work to do. you got to play USC uh, this weekend uh, on the road after they came into Poly and beat you guys. So uh, I know that uh, you'll be looking forward to that one. Uh, and then the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, I will be there for the Pac-12 tournament title game. And who knows? Maybe I will be covering your team in that, getting ready for the NCAA tournament. There's a good chance you guys could be in that game. Uh, Mick, uh, appreciate it. Thanks, and congratulations so far on a phenomenal season. It's always good to catch up, my friend. Hope all is well. Thanks, Mick. You got it, Andy. Take care, buddy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Andy Katz here with NCAA.com and March Madness with the latest edition of Katz Ranks here on March Madness 365. All right, so for this week's edition, as we are getting closer and closer to the NCAA tournament, we are going to look at the top 10 coaches heading into the NCAA tournament who we feel the most comfortable with could win games in March. Now, I am picking the 10 coaches who I think will be in the NCAA tournament. So I don't want to hear from Syracuse fans because I don't project the Orange getting in. That's why Jim Beheim is not on this list. North Carolina fans. It's the reason Roy Williams is not on this list. I do not project the Tar Heels in the NCAA tournament this season. So this is dealing with 10 coaches who I'm convinced will be in the NCAA tournament this season. All right, starting at number 10, Chris Beard from Texas Tech. Not a lot to work with here, but just look at the last couple of years. National championship game, and the year before that, an Elite Eight. So Chris Beard of Texas Tech has done a lot in a short amount of time uh, with the Red Raiders. Um, So he's got to be on this list, in my opinion, in terms of a coach who's been able to win games in the NCAA tournament. At number nine, Dana Altman from Oregon. They get hot at the right time. He's been to multiple Sweet 16s. He's been to a Final Four. Last season's a great example where they weren't even projected to make the NCAA tournament. They won the Pac-12 tournament and then got to the Sweet 16. And number eight, Leonard Hamilton from Florida State. A couple years in a row, uh, they've done very well out west, uh, whether it was a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight. Um, Leonard Hamilton has his team ready in the NCAA tournament. And... They're always a tough out in March. So I would put him on this list. At number seven, Tony Bennett from Virginia. Just won the national championship. Now the year before, they were bounced out in the first round in the first first one versus 16. So because of that, I can't necessarily put him at the top, uh, but he did win a national championship. And his teams get better and better. Now this top six is very difficult to put in an order. So Mark Few has to be in there. So I put him at number six of Gonzaga because the Zags have consistently been a Sweet 16 team. They've been to an Elite Eight, obviously multiple Elite Eights, uh, national championship game. So he's been to a Final Four. I actually could put Mark Few higher 
because they've won so much uh, in March. But it's difficult when I look what's above that. So at number five, I have Bill Self of Kansas, won a national championship and multiple Elite Eights, multiple Final Fours. So he's got to be in there. So he's at number five. At number four, Jay Wright of Villanova. Two national championships in a four-year period. Um, it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, you can't dismiss that. Uh, winning in 2016 and uh, 2018. So actually two and three years to be quite factual. Uh, so Jay Wright has to be on there. At number three, Tom Izzo, Michigan State. Final fours, it seems like, every other year. I mean, there's so many of them. Uh, national championship, got to go back, I know, 20 years to 2000. Still, Izzo, in March, wins. And number two, John Calipari from Kentucky. What he's done with this Kentucky program, under that spotlight, under that scrutiny, is still remarkable. And the Wildcats uh, have been in multiple Final Fours, won a national championship, have played in Elite Eights, Sweet Sixteens. The Wildcats are just, it's rare if they get beat early. And at number one, it's got to be Coach K, winning his coach of all time. Won the national championship most recently in 2010, 2015. Of course, there's been Elite Eights. Uh, last season, before they lost to Michigan State in that berth to get to the Final Four in Washington. So Coach K has to be on there at number one. So that's your top ten. Beard, Altman, Hamilton, Bennett, Few, Self, Wright, Izzo, Cal, K. So that is your Cats Ranks for March Madness 365. Andy Katz with NCAA.com and March Madness with Kofi Coburn from Illinois and Kofi, you've done a great job of dominating the paint in the Big Ten in, in a league where there's so many bigs that have, you know, similar type talent. Um, in what way have you been able to, you know, get what you want when you want inside? I'm just using my physicality, um, stick, sticking to the script. Um, coach lays out a couple of plays that get me the ball down low in which I could score the ball easily. Um, just basically using my physicality, um, playing through contact and playing strong. You know, I think we've talked before about this league where Daniel Turu, Lamar Stevens, John Teske, I could go down the line. It feels like every team has another big. How do you think that has prepared you for what you could end up facing in the NCAA tournament? Um, it definitely prepared me because um, all those guys that you named, they're really, really, really good players. Um, they prepared me tremendously and just moving my feet, playing defense, um, boxing out, you know, becoming a more physical def- defender and rebounder. So they definitely pushed me to... It's, every day is a new, it's, it's a new challenge where you can have Arturo, which is really versatile, versatile and do everything. You can have Teske that shoots the ball really great and has great, great post moves. So it really, it really prepared me um, for NCAA defensively. So you're one of the best freshmen in the country, certainly not just at your position, but just overall. Uh, you've had tons of double-doubles, top five double-doubles uh, in terms of freshmen. Uh, what did you expect from yourself this freshman season? Um, not this much. Um, I expected me to um, come in, you know, and just become a learner, in which I am. Just become a learner, you know, play my role. But, um, things, things, was, things are different, so um, you just got to do what I got to do. Um, if I'm capable, I'll do it. What did Coach Underwood tell you when you came as to what he expected from you? Um, he just expected me to be who I am, um, be the sponge, um, 
um, get, get every knowledge I could possibly get, um, work hard in practice, and it's going to pay off. He said that if I'm if I'm capable, I'm, he's going to he's going to play the ball through me. He's going to make sure I get the ball. He's going to make sure that he he makes me a better player every day. So that's basically it, my expectations. What do you enjoy most when you're on the floor? I'm just playing with my guys. Um, we have a really, really good relationship off the court, and just being able to come out there every day and like play with them and compete with them, um, it's a really good feeling. And what's it going to mean to you? Because this program has not been to the NCAA tournament since 2013. What will it mean to you to help them get there? It means a lot. Um, that's one of the reasons I came here. Um, they were a really good program before, and I just wanted to come back and get them back to where they belong. And you and Georgie have st- struck incredible friendship. Um, you play the five. There are times when you guys are out there together, but not all the time now. How has that been adjusted where, you know, sometimes now he replaces you versus at the beginning of the season, you guys were playing together a lot? It's no hard feelings with me and Georgie. Um, I love him um, as a person, and that could never change. So what, whatever the case may be, if you got to come in for me, I'll cheer him on. He's, he's the next guy up. I'm the next guy up. It's, it's just a rotation. And how effective is it, though, when you're both on the floor together? Yeah, very effective. Um, he understands me. He knows where I want the ball. He understands that we, got, we both have to offensive rebound at all times. So it's a really good connection when me and him on the floor. Appreciate it, Kofi. Thank you. Thank you. And now it's time for March Chadness here on March Madness 365. Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Chad, last week, how did I do? Yeah, showing signs of consistency, Andy. You went at seven and five again, back to back weeks at seven and five, above uh, five hundred. Yeah, above five hundred. It's it's good to hear, especially as we hit March. Uh, you know, consistency it should be appreciated this time of year. Um, but your biggest, you know, your picks. You kind of nailed the start of the week with both Iowa and Penn State predicting their wins and losses. Penn State, uh, you know, tail of two halves against Rutgers, uh, but survived at the end. Uh, Iowa and then took down Penn State. Uh, but you did get uh, Michigan State's initial win against Iowa correct, but you missed on the second half of that week when they uh, lost at Maryland. Uh, your other wins, Seton Hall at Marquette, impressive pick there, road win. Uh, Marcus Howard dropped 37, wasn't enough. You still got the win there with Seton Hall. You also got uh, the Kentucky game correct. Virginia, bold pick over Duke. They uh, came through for you. Jay Huff, shout out to that guy. Clutch blocks and dunks near the end of that game. And then Houston against Cincinnati came through. Uh, overall, though, you know, your losses, Florida State lost at Clemson. Feels like every top ACC team is losing at Clemson lately. Um, you know, we already mentioned Michigan State. Michigan lost at Ohio State. Kind of a bold pick there. And then another road team you picked, Colorado, ended up losing at Stanford. So any any initial thoughts on your picks there, Andy? Well, I mean, first of all, Maryland had been undefeated. So I don't think that was crazy. Uh, Florida State, Clemson. You know, come on. I mean, uh, yes, Clemson's beaten teams at home, but Florida State had been playing much better, especially at home. We took a lot of flack, by the way, for them not being included in our or my top 10. I'll take the responsibility here for the top 10 home courts. I had them on the fringe. I think I had them at 11. Uh, so heard from the Seminole fans there. So, I mean, overall, I think my picks are mirroring what we're seeing in the course of the season, which is just when you think you've got it figured out, Outcomes an outlier like the Clemson game and the Virginia Duke. I don't think that was that bold because Duke uh, had not been playing as well on the road. You know, obviously they lost to Wake in double overtime. Uh, they'd already, you know, uh, lost at home to Louisville. Um, 
you know, lost at NC State. So I don't think that was that crazy. Could have lost to Carolina. And Virginia's playing really well, as we just heard on our podcast from Tony Bennett. So um, things have turned around for the Cavaliers. So I don't think that's that crazy. Sure. Um, all right. So now we get into the final week of the regular season. A lot of conference tournaments in one-bid leagues are starting this week. And then all the power schools and everyone else begins uh, beginning Monday. Uh, and crazy as it sounds, a week from Sunday is Selection Sunday. Uh, so it's just all going to happen so fast here. So let's go to our final regular season picks. Uh, what do you have for me? Yeah, let's start it off Tuesday. None of this gets really any easier, but we'll give you Maryland at Rutgers. You know, the Terps, they missed that big opportunity at home against Michigan State. Uh, they'll have another chance to clinch at least a share of the Big Ten title at Rutgers. You think they get it done? I'm going to be there, and I'm going to go with Rutgers because, yes, Maryland's playing for a Big Ten title, but they get that second shot at home against Michigan over the weekend. But Rutgers, they desperately need this game. If they lose this game, they end the season um, you know, with another road game, and I think it could be dicey as to whether or not they actually get in. They're at Purdue to close the season. So um, I, I think that they need this game to get in the NCAA tournament. So I'm going to say they get it. All right. I like it. Now, how about Michigan State at Penn State? You know, your team of the week. They're doing all they can to try to earn a share of this Big Ten title that we just mentioned. Uh, do you see Sparty keeping it rolling on the road? I do. Um, Penn State is back to being a little erratic. Um, they're going to be in the tournament. But you know, without Myron Jones, they've missed that third score, or at least a consistent third score. And so I think that 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 the way Michigan State is playing, especially with Rocket Watts next to Cassius Winston, uh, I think Xavier Tillman, Lamar Stevens matchup can be a wash. So I think that there's a good chance that Michigan State can go into State College and get the win. Now, Wednesday, you've got Villanova at Seton Hall. It's a historical season for Seton Hall. You know, the Pirates sit two games up uh, with two games to play. Uh, They're trying to clinch the Big East outright for the first time since 1993. Will they be celebrating in Newark on Wednesday night? I think they will. It's also senior night for Miles Powell. And while senior night did not go as well for Marcus Howard, uh, I think Powell gets the Pirates the Big East championship Wednesday night against Villanova. I was there for the first matchup. And Seton Hall, uh, Villanova played well, but Seton Hall just was able to close out. And I just think that Seton Hall is back to playing the way we all sort of projected. They're healthy. I think the Pirates get it done Wednesday night. Now we've got Dayton at Rhode Island. Andy, a game you'll be on hand for for the second half to cover all things Obi Toppin and the Flyers. Who do you like winning this one? So I'm actually going to go with URI here. Um, URI lost over the weekend to St. Louis. Very similar to Rutgers. URI desperately needs another high-profile quad one win. Unlike Rutgers, which could potentially get one or two more in the Big Ten tournament, this is it for URI outside of maybe playing Dayton again in the Big in the A-10 tournament. So backs against the wall, they absolutely have to get this win. I say they get it in a crazy atmosphere in Kingston knocking off Dayton, and what that will do is that'll keep Dayton at the two-line and prevent them, I think, ultimately from being a one. Big shakeup in the A-10. Now, how about Thursday night? Illinois at Ohio State. The Illini checking back into the AP Top 25 this week. Who do you like winning this one in Columbus? I'm going to go with Illinois. As well as Ohio State played down the stretch against Michigan, 
Uh, I'm back. I, well, I don't think I left. I was on the Illinois bandwagon. Uh, Andres Feliz, Alan Griffin, they had two sensational games this week to compliment Ayo Desumu, who's, who's been the closer. Uh, Kofi Coburn, I think, can easily neutralize Caleb Wesson. I think Caleb Wesson will probably get in foul trouble trying to guard him. I'm going with the road team here, Illinois in Columbus. Yeah, it's a high-level game. I kind of like the Buckeyes to pull this one out at home, though. But now you've got Saturday, March 7th. Let's start with Baylor at West Virginia. You know, West Virginia, they just seem to be falling apart down the stretch. They've lost, what, six of seven entering this week. They'll be on the road to start the week at Iowa State. Then they'll come back to host Baylor for senior night. Will the Mountaineers end the regular season on a high note, or does Baylor get them here? I think Baylor wins. Uh, They're the better team. Even though Baylor struggled with the road game at TCU, uh, I think Baylor goes into Morgantown, which is not easy to do for any team. Kansas did it. I think Baylor gets it done. Okay. Later Saturday, you've got Kentucky at Florida. Kentucky seems as hot as any team in the country right now. Where Florida, you never really know what you're going to get. Who you have winning in the swamp? I'm all in on the Wildcats. They're the better team. Quickly and Richards could be co-SEC player of the year. Uh, I think they're going to enter the NCAA tournament as one of the favorites, not just to get to Atlanta, but to win it. Okay, so Seton Hall at Creighton. You've already got Seton Hall winning to start the week you know, against Villanova. Do you, see, do you see them sweeping the week and getting a big road win at Creighton? So here's where I don't, because I think that if they get the Wednesday win, they will have won the league outright. And, you know, I think potentially, uh, not that there would be a load management issue, but they've had a lot of injuries. I would be shocked if Kevin Willard pulls back a little and maybe doesn't go all in with Miles Powell and Mamu and everyone knowing that a couple days later they're going to be in New York uh, trying to win the Big East tournament title. So I wouldn't, I'm not saying they're throwing in the towel here in, in Omaha, but if they win Wednesday night, um, I just don't think they'll feel the pressure uh, to get this one. I think Creighton will, and I think the Blue Jays get it. Yeah, I love that analysis, especially if Seton Hall gets that initial win. Not as much to play for. Creighton's got senior night. And then, you know, just the emotion of winning that Big East title outright earlier in the week, you know, could be a little let down there. And then you've got Louisville at Virginia. You know, we just we just mentioned UVA. They kind of stifled Duke last week. Can they do the same to Louisville this week? Yes. Uh, and it's crazy. I mean, Florida State has at Notre Dame and BC, so they got to lose a game. But I think Virginia could end the regular season at, you know, at the worst in second place, which is phenomenal. And I think, as I said to Tony in our interview here earlier on the podcast, I think he'll end up being the ACC coach of the year. And in what has been, it's crazy to say, because they won the national championship last year, I think maybe even a better coaching job, uh, certainly in the ACC, uh, to get them in position where, who knows, if, if Notre Dame can upset Florida State in South Bend early in the week, then Virginia has a chance to get a share of the ACC on Saturday. All right. Now you've got North Carolina at Duke. You know, this is a game that when they played the first time around, it was like, oh, does it still have its luster? You know, does it still have the hype? And, you know, we didn't really know. But UNC played really, really well, and then they ended up choking it down the stretch. Trey Jones came up clutch both in, you know, the the regulation and then overtime. You know, who wins this time in Durham? I'll go with Duke. Um it, it is senior night, even though these guys aren't seniors, but likely the last time the Duke fans will see Vernon Carey and Trey Jones. Uh, but, you know, even though Carolina's playing well um, for them uh, this season, uh, the last week, they're getting that win over NC State. Um, I, I'm going to go with Duke at home in Durham uh, to give them at least some momentum going in the ACC tournament the following week. 
Yeah, I agree. I think Duke holds serve at home here. Now let's jump to a little Pac-12 action. You've got Stanford at Oregon. Stanford, they've won four in a row. They already own one win over Oregon this season. Are we looking at a season sweep here? No. Um, I think Stanford will you know, potentially get a split of the weekend winning in Corvallis, and the Cardinal are back playing well. But I think the Ducks, in what should be a uh, very emotional, crazy senior night for Peyton Pritchard, uh, I think that they win this game. And then the Ducks, like UCLA, will have good momentum going into the Pac-12 tournament next week in Las Vegas. Yeah, I agree. Now, here's a fun one. Ohio State at Michigan State. Cassius Winston's final home game. Now, for me, there's no chance I'm picking against the Spartans. No here. way. <laughs> <laughs> might, not, might as well not even ask you. Any thoughts on that game, Andy? Well, I just think that uh, it'll be, you know, to say it'll be emotional will be an understatement. Um, what he's done for the program, what he's gone through, we've documented that, you know, obviously a lot over the course of the season. Uh, but, I, you know, I just I, I can't imagine that hug between Tom Izzo and Cassius Winston and when Cassius family is on center court, um, that'll be incredibly emotional. Uh, you know, we'll have to check that once the action gets going because uh, you can't let it overcome. And a lot of times we see that on senior night, it's just too overwhelming and people don't play well. But I, I just think that, that he will ride that wave of emotion. I think the, the zone will be completely just jacked the whole game. And uh, so I go with the Spartans here to get them, you know, heading in the right direction, heading into the Big Ten tournament the following week uh, in Indy. As well as he played at the start of the year, you know, after that tragedy, I do think he'll be able to keep his emotions in check and just deliver a phenomenal performance. So I can't wait to see it. And then, Andy, as you as you kind of teed up earlier, we've got some conference tournaments this week. We've got the Mountain West and OVC on Saturday, and then you've got the ASUN, Big South, and MVC championships on Sunday. I think the most notable one of that group is obviously the Mountain West. Uh, we've kind of you know teased at it all season. What do we think San Diego State's going to do, Andy? What do you have them doing? Do you think they'll get upset, or, or will they will they take on the title? Uh, I'm going to say they take it, which will probably give them a one bid. Uh, so I will say that they will end up ultimately. Uh, winning the Mountain West Conference tournament uh, and, you know, securing that number one seed, uh, which would be, uh, you know, obviously great news for bubble teams. And uh, even though you're not asking me, I will just chime in and say that I'm going to go with the favorites. I know that doesn't always hold true, but I think Belmont will win the OVC. Uh, I think in the Big South, uh, we will see uh, Winthrop. And in the A-Sun, we will see Liberty. And in the Missouri Valley, that's where it's going to get interesting. Um, You know, will Northern Iowa win it? Will they need a little help to be an at-large? But uh, I just think that they're the best team, and they've taken everyone's best shot. uh, And I'm going to go with them winning uh, the Valley so that the bubble will end up being – you know, pretty safe through this weekend. So a lot of the power schools will feel pretty good uh, about their chances because the favorites will end up winning. That's, that's, you know, I mean, really in that grouping, the only ones that have a chance to get in on their own are obviously San Diego state right. and Northern Iowa, but uh, you know, cause Liberty and Winthrop couldn't do it, but that's where I got, I, I'm, I'm just going to go out. It's not very bold here, at least in these conference tournaments. When we talk about the other ones next week uh, in these ones, I'm not going to go all favorites next week, by the way. In this weekend, in this weekend, I am. 
Now, I like the bonus predictions, and yeah, we are rapidly approaching bid stealer season, so I can't wait to revisit uh, both you know your your game picks and their conference tournament picks next week, and then next week, as you said. It will not be a game-by-game prediction, Andy. We will be looking at a lot more conference tournament predictions next week. I can't wait. It'll be awesome, Chad. Can't wait and be great to be down, uh, obviously, uh, in Atlanta on Selection Sunday. And then the following week for our fast break, which is crazy that it's already going to be here in just a couple of weeks' time. So as always, everyone, I appreciate all your engagement on social media, downloading our podcasts, and certainly we want to hear from you um, and appreciate our guests, UCLA head coach McCronin, Virginia head coach Tony Bennett, uh, as always. Oh, and then, of course, Kofi Coburn from Illinois. Appreciate him taking some time with me uh, earlier this week when I was on the road uh, covering the Illini. So as always, Chad, appreciate uh, all you do for us at Turner Sports. Download our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us throughout the course of the week on social media at all our March Madness and NCW.com accounts. And for everyone that makes this happen, I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening.